You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Chapter 19, book of John, verse number 25, and we'll read down through verse number 27. John 19, verse number 25. See what the Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. By the way, I like that humility of John, don't you? That was John writing this, and he didn't mention his own name, though he could have. He just said, the disciple. He said, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Now notice this. Jesus is in the midst of Calvary. And as Jesus is suffering on the cross, he turns his head and he looks. And he sees those few women standing there, those Marys with John. John the beloved, John the apostle, this disciple John. Probably Jesus' best friend, earthly speaking. He sees him standing there and he says, Mary, behold thy son, meaning John. And then he looks at John And he says something to John, and just in the way that he says it, this would bring about a lot of work, a lot of responsibility, a lot of burden, something totally out of the ordinary, no doubt not on John's radar at all. And Jesus said, John, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to gift you with this because you've not left. You've stayed by the cross. Everybody else is scattered, but you've stood. Here's what I'm going to give you. You get to take care of Mary the rest of her life. Now, I know John's a good man, and it said he took her to his own home. What a blessing that is. But you better believe in his heart of flesh. He probably thought, my goodness, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I mean, this broken, sorrowing widow who now is watching her son die, and now I've got to take care of her the rest of her life. I would say that is not what John thought he was going to get from Jesus if he stayed by the cross. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. What do you do? When you get what you didn't expect to get from God, what do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get from God? Let's pray. God, I pray for power. I pray you'd help me to present this truth clearly, that you'd help us tonight. Thank you for your Bible. I pray that you just be glorified tonight. Help our church in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What do you do when you get what you don't expect to get from God? Horatio Spafford lost his three daughters in a sailing accident. They drowned. What do you do when you get what you don't expect to get from God? He wrote a song called It Is Well. Harold Seitler's daughter, 11 years old, their vehicle was hit by a drunk driver and killed her. He didn't expect that. So what do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get from God? Billy Sunday went all over America preaching against alcohol, championing prohibition. His sons became drunks. One of them committed suicide. The other died in a tragedy. Another married several times, nine times total between his boys. I doubt he expected to get that from God. So what do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get from God? J. Frank Norris was a great preacher. J. Frank Norris took the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas in 1909. In 1911, 600 people walked out on him, split the church. In 1945, J. Frank Norris was getting older. His health wasn't good. And his own son, George, rose up against him and split the church down the middle. 
What do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get from God? Think about Lee Robertson, whose daughter Joy died early in life, three years old, I believe. What do you do when something like that happens in your life? I've heard the statement made before, expect the unexpected. And we might be able to come to terms with that in life. We know life is sort of unpredictable. But it's a little more difficult when you consider to expect the unexpected when it comes to God. Now tonight among Bible characters, there are few as reverenced and revered as the Apostle John. John is known outside the church, and John is well-respected inside the church. John's a good man, but he's an even better Christian. God used John's life as a testimony for God and to yield great influence for him. You study his life and you find that John was a fisherman. John was a disciple. John was an apostle. John was a pastor. John was a penman. And I'll say it again, he was probably the closest earthly friend that the Lord Jesus Christ had. John was an eyewitness to unraveling prophecy. He was a welcome guest in the throne room of eternity. John is a considerable Christian. When you come to the Gospel of John, it's interesting to remember that John is the only Gospel writer that was actually an eyewitness at Calvary. The account that John gives us is not secondhand nor hearsay, but John is giving to us exactly what he saw in person as he stood in that long looming shadow of the cross of Calvary. What John gives us, he heard in person. What John gives us, he saw in person. What John gives us, he felt in person. What John gives us, he experienced in person. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and you'll find seven of those chapters are absolutely consumed with the events that surround Calvary. It's amazing. John does not record the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't even give us the record of his birth. But for one-third of the Gospel of John, John is wrapped up in what he experienced at the cross. And can I say, that's the kind of impact and difference the cross ought to have on everybody who's ever been at the foot of the cross. And though I wasn't there physically that day, I'm glad I've knelt there spiritually. And I'm glad I can say with the hymn writer, it was at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and burdens are lifted at Calvary. And lest we forget Gethsemane, and lest we forget his agony, thank God, I'm glad there was a day I was led by the Holy Spirit there to Calvary, and the cross made the difference in my life life. John walked with Jesus in person. John sailed the seas with Jesus in person. John prayed with Jesus in person. John witnessed with Jesus in person. John laid his head on the breast of the Lord and he heard that heart beat for God so loved the world. He got to hear the rhythm of that love beat in the upper room as he laid his head on the breast of the Lord. But now John stands as the only disciple left standing. He's there with a few women at the foot of the cross. He stands beneath the long shadow there and sees the bleeding form of his Redeemer as he hangs there suspended between heaven and earth. Now, if you study Calvary, you probably already know this, but there are seven sayings that Christ makes from the cross. They're referred to as the seven sayings of Calvary. Let me give them to you quickly. The first saying, and by the way, all of these sayings show a different office of Christ, mediator and savior and priest and conqueror, all of these different things. In Luke 23, 34 is the first statement. It's a statement of forgiveness. As Jesus looks on those who had placed him on that tree and those that had sold him out with lies, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can I say that's amazing grace in action? 
The second statement's in Luke 23, 43. That's a statement of salvation. He looks at that thief who had placed his faith in the man in the, on the middle cross. And he said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Thank God for that assuring word of salvation. The next saying of the cross is in Matthew 27, 46. It's a statement of anguish. Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The next statement from the cross is in John 19, 28. And it's a statement of suffering as he cries out, I thirst. In John 19, 30, there's another statement. And thank God, it's a statement of victory as Jesus makes that powerful sentence sermon and he says, it is finished. Signifying to us the debt has been paid, the burden's been lifted, and the floodgates open wide for whosoever will. They can come take of the water of life freely. There's another statement, Luke 23, 46, and it's a statement of contentment as the Lord looks at the Heavenly Father and says, into thy hand, I commend my spirit. But there's another statement tonight that I skipped over on purpose. And it's a statement that exposes both the care of the Lord and the commissioning of John. It's a statement of relationship and responsibility. It's found here in these three verses that we read in verse 26 and 27 specifically. Now, before we read it, you've got to consider it with me. John leaves out many things in his gospel record that the other synoptic gospel writers put in their account. John does not mention the rending of the temple veil. John does not mention the earthquake that shook Jerusalem. John does not mention the rocks that were torn to pieces. John does not mention the suicide of Judas. John does not write about the salvation of that centurion that peered upon Christ as he suffered on the cross. But this passage, these three verses, were something that God would simply not allow the pen of John to pass over. He couldn't get by it. He couldn't get around it. He couldn't leave it out. And I don't doubt, though it's never left the page, I don't think it ever left his heart. These statements that are about to leave the lips of the Lord. There's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been there for several hours. He's in pain and agony and he's suffering there for our sin. And imagine it as he turns his head, that bleeding head plaited with a crown of thorns. He turns his head and he sees there in the shadow of the cross those women standing there. His mother Mary and these other faithful ladies. And then he sees John standing. All of a sudden those parched lips of the Lord begin to open and his voice begins to resonate. That same voice that spoke the world into existence. That same voice that raised Lazarus from the dead. That same voice that ironed the wrinkles out of the sea begins to speak from the cross. You've got to wonder, what's he going to say? What's he going to say to John? John had stayed when others had left. John had stood when others had left. John had served when others had left. John wasn't scared. John wasn't shaken. John hadn't sold him out, but John was planted by the cross. He was faithful to a savior. Can you imagine what Jesus is going to give to John? Can you imagine the power? Can you imagine the prestige? Can you imagine the pulpit? Can you imagine the position that Jesus must be about to bestow upon John? I mean, where's Peter? He's gone. I mean, where's Matthew? He's not there. Where's Luke? Nowhere to be found. But there's John, a 
stalwart standing there by the cross. Jesus begins to open his lips and he speaks. I want you to imagine this scene. Imagine Mary's anguish as she's standing there watching her son suffer in that capacity. And we understand, yes, he is God, but also on the human side, he's the boy of Mary. She had carried him in her womb nine months before his incarnation. She was there when he drew his first earthly breath. She was there to nurse him when he was hungry. She bathed him when he was dirty. She was there for his first steps on the human side. She'd mended his clothing. She'd nursed his wounds. She'd taught him things about life. She'd watch her boy grow and prosper and increase in the knowledge of the Lord, the Bible says. And now she sees him with his back ribbon and his side pierced and his wrist penetrated and his brow bleeding. Can you imagine her anguish as she stands there? Oh, but what consolation it must have been to Mary that Jesus had his mama on his mind. And by the way, you're not an any count kind of son if you don't care for your mother. Say amen right there. He looks there at Mary and says, I know you're nervous. Joseph is dead. My brethren can't be depended upon, but I've already got you taken care of. That man right there loves me more than life itself. He's going to be good to you. He's going to take care of you. He said, behold thy son. I believe Mary probably said, whoop, hallelujah. I've got a son to take care of me through life. But then he turns to John. John, what's he going to get? Maybe he'll get to preach on Pentecost. Maybe he'll be there and pastor the church in Jerusalem. Maybe he'll be the one that gets to be the leader of the pack of disciples. No, Jesus looks at John and the initial ministry that John gets called into is simply the ministry of being the son or the caretaker of this lady named Mary. He looks at John and says, just like I told Mary, behold thy son. John, I want you to understand. Now behold thy mother. You better believe John wasn't expecting that. I don't think he'd gone to the cross with that expectation in mind. I'm going to get to be a caretaker the rest of my life. I'm going to get to make sure she's fed. I'm going to make sure she's clothed. I'm going to make sure there's a roof over your head. Can you imagine in society that might have been mocked? It would have been mundane. It had been a mighty big task. I mean, it would monopolize his life every day. He'd get up and go to bed and he'd have to make sure Mary was tended to. What did the Lord give him? The Lord didn't give him a pulpit, didn't give him power or position, but he gave him work. He gave him a burden. He gave him a need to meet. He gave him a low to live. He gave him what he was not expecting. He didn't send him to Philippi. He didn't send him to Corinth. He didn't put him in Thessalonica. This is not Ephesus yet, but the first pastor of John is not a large crowd. It's one little bitter, broken, sorrowing widow woman standing by the cross watching her son die. I don't think he expected to get that from God. You better believe it was unexpected. Think about his relationship with Christ. He deserved better than that, right? Think about his resolve. Think about his reputation. Surely he should have gotten Pentecost before Peter. He stayed by the cross. But that's not what he got from God. I thought about this. Noah got an ark. John got Mary. Adam got a garden to tend and John got Mary. Moses got a nation to lead and John's first ministry was Mary. David got a throne. John got Mary. Solomon got a temple. John got Mary. 
Peter got to preach on Pentecost, but John's going to get Mary. I'm talking about James got to go to Jerusalem and pastor that great church, but John's going to get Mary initially. Paul gets to go to the Gentile, Gentiles, and John's going to get Mary after all of those miles in the ministry, after all those times of sacrifice, after all that display of love, after those seasons of fellowship with the Lord, he looks at him and says, John, you get to take care of my mother. Now, let me ask you, what do you do when the unexpected comes into your life? I'm wondering, what do you do when you get an unexpected work to fulfill? What do you do when you get an unexpected weight to carry? What do you do when you get an unexpected test that you have to take? What do you do when an unexpected blessing rolls into your life? What do you do when you pray and you seek and you wait and you trust and what God gives to you is not what you thought God was going to give to you? I want to ask Job. Job, what do you do when your family dies around you? That's unexpected. Peter, what do you do when you're crucified upside down? That was unexpected. Paul, what do you do when you don't get to see the rapture, but you get your head on a chopping block and martyred for your faith? What do you do? What do you do, Esther, when the weight is on your shoulders? What do you do? Uh, what do you do, Titus, when you have to stay in Crete? What do you do, Joseph, when your brethren put you in Egypt? What do you do, Jeremiah, when you're preaching, nobody gets saved? It's not expected. So what do you do? It's a nice quote, expect the unexpected. But can I say there's really nothing in life that prepares you for the unexpected. Now, I like what John does in verse 27, right straight away. He takes Mary to his house. He fulfills his obligation. But I want to ask you, what do you do when God gives you what you didn't expect to get in your home? Negative or positive? Doesn't matter either way. How do you react? What do you do when you get what you didn't expect in your home? When the course you had mapped out for your family isn't the course that God has mapped out for your family. What do you do? What do you do when you get what you didn't expect from God when it comes to your, uh, your children? Everybody has high aspirations and expectations for their children. But what happens when they fulfill the role of the prodigal son in Luke 15? What do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get from God? What do you do when you get what you didn't expect from God when it comes to your health? And you didn't plan every day to get up with aches and pains or have to ride in a wheelchair or have to go to a, a doctor three or four days a week. What do you do when life doesn't work out the way you thought it ought to work out? Let me give you a few statements and I'll close. Number one, remember this. When you get what you didn't expect to get from God, realize the importance of the task. Realize the importance of the task. Before you get bitter and before you get mad and before you say it's not fair, consider how important this job is in the first place. You say, what do you mean? I mean context. I mean, Jesus is hanging on the cross, fulfilling world redemption. He's paying the price for our sin. I mean, he's got every imp, demon, and devil in hell. I mean, crying out against him. The Sanhedrin stands there scoffing. The soldiers stand there gambling over his garments. Jesus is bearing the weight of our sin, drinking full of the dregs of our iniquity. And as he suffers and bleeds and dies, he hits the pause button to look down on John and Mary. And said, I want to make sure Mary's taken care of. And John, you're the man I want to do it. That must have been pretty important to Jesus if he'd paused Calvary to take care of it. You say, well, it's not a big deal. It's just my Sunday school class. It must be a big deal if God see fit to put you in it. Hello. It's not a big deal. It's just a bus route. It must be a big deal if God saw fit to give it to you. Must be a big deal. You say, it's not fair, it's cancer. It must be a big deal if God saw fit to give it to you. I know that's hard preaching, hard living. But doesn't he know best? It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy in our home. It must be a big deal if God saw fit to let it come into your life. Consider the importance of the task. 
It might not seem like a big deal to you, but it must have been a big deal to God to put it in your life. Number two, not just the importance of the task. What about this? Consider this, the implied trust in the fact that he would give Mary to John. He couldn't trust Peter with Mary, maybe. Maybe he couldn't trust Luke with Mary. Maybe he knew Matthew wouldn't be right for Mary. But I know John can handle this. He's omniscient. You say, what's that mean? He knows John better than John knows himself. He knows the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, everything about John. Jesus knew it. And Jesus, knowing John, who he was and what he was all about, thought, that's the man for the job. Now, none of us would choose the unexpected, but when the unexpected rolls in your life, know this, Jesus and the Lord, he knows exactly what you can handle. He knows exactly what kind of load you can carry. He knows exactly what you need to make you more like, make you more like him. There's trust implied in it. Not only that, think about this, the test that's implemented or the tempering, you could say. This is going to challenge John. It's going to change him. It's going to conform him. It's going to make John be patient. I know he's John the Beloved, but you, you live with another man's mama long enough, that's going to try your patience, you know. John's going to be sweetened by this experience, no matter how bitter the days might be sometimes. Can I say when these unexpected things roll in your life, you have to remember that God's priority is not simply to just roll blessing into our lives, but bettering into our lives. Amen. We sing the song, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And every single day, in many different ways, God works on us. I always say, I wish it was always, you know, like chocolate ice cream and million dollars given to me and sunshine and things like that. But oftentimes, it's these trials of life that conform us most to the image of our Lord. One more statement will be done. Think about this. The increased trust that was birthed from the unexpected. We know John because John wrote the Gospel of John. We know John because John wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We know John because of the book of Revelation. He got to see the Lord unlike anyone had seen the Lord. We know John because he outran Peter there to the tomb, right? Won that first sprint to the tomb and saw those empty. We know John. But all of those great things in John's life, the pastor at Ephesus, the influence that he yielded, was preceded by him first being faithful in this little thing. Just take care of Mary. Just carry this unexpected thing. Just nourish this unexpected task. Carry the weight of it. Carry the burden. Little is much when God is in it. Little things, you think it's little, but little things, big thing to God, little things lead to bigger things. Don't despise the day of small things. You say, well, I expected God to do more in my life. I bet you he wants to, too, but he wants to see how he's going to handle this thing. I just don't think, I just don't think, I don't think that somebody like John R. Rice, his mother died six, when he was six years old. I don't think he expected that. But God used it to give him tears for sinners. I don't think Horatio Spafford planned to lose his children, but I tell you, we've been blessed by it as well. Can you see John as the old man? He outlived all the disciples. By the way, he didn't get to write his letters until about, uh, what was it, 60 years after the cross almost? Long time in waiting, wasn't it? But can you see him as an old man sitting there and the young preachers, boy, I want to be a John. Well, I'd like to preach like John. I'd like to write like John. I want that pastorate like John. But you've got to go back to John's first pastorate, his first responsibility, something unexpected. 
something that wouldn't get much news. Just take care of Mary. Tonight, I don't know what your Mary is that God's trusted you with. You didn't plan on it and you wouldn't have chose it, but it's there in your life. Can I tell you, you handle it right. And you weather it well and you watch what God does. Because that's just a stepping stone to something bigger down the road, something better maybe down the road. What do you do when you get what you didn't expect to get? Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to pray the altar be open. That's my thought for this Wednesday night. Just a little thought, something you can hang your hat on this week. There'll be some things maybe this year you didn't plan, you didn't expect. What are you going to do when it happens? Your reaction is going to make or break. Maybe your home, your personal life. What do you do? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.